welcome SGO listeners to our second series in Keeping Up with the Chemos, where we're going over recently approved drugs in gynecologic oncology. I'm Tracy Lynn Hall. I am a gynecologic oncologist at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And joining me today, we have... Hi, my name is Judith Smith, and I'm a professor at McGovern Medical School, also here in Houston, Texas, and an oncology clinical pharmacist. And I'll be moderating with Tracy Lynn today. And I'm Jennifer Donald. I'm an oncology clinical pharmacy specialist at the Hollings Cancer Center in Charleston, South Carolina, and I work specifically in gynecologic oncology. Hi, I'm Pam Solomon. I'm a GYN oncologist at MD Anderson, also in Houston, Texas. Thank you all for joining us today. Let's start off talking about the mechanism of action of pembrolizumab and lumbatinib in endometrial cancer. Dr. Solomon, would you like to take the lead? As most of us know, the combination of lenvatinib and pembrolizumab were FDA approved for the treatment of endometrial cancer, I guess probably about a little over two years now. The combination is using PDL1 inhibitor pembrolizumab in combination with lenvatinib, which is an anti-angiogenic. And in patients that are both MSI high as well as MS stable, there's been efficacy and good response rates in patients with endometrial cancer. Does the PDL1 status matter with this combination? Well, I think we all know that when you give PDL1 inhibitors alone in patients that have MSI high tumors, they have pretty good response rates. And in patients that have microsatellite stable tumors, the PDL1 inhibitors alone don't respond very well. So the combination is really beneficial in patients that have MS stable tumors. And that's the current FDA indication. And I think it really met kind of an unmet need, right? We knew for MSI high or PDL1 positive patients that we could use something like pembrolizumab. So for this MSS or MSI stable population, pembro and lymphatin kind of came in to make sure that we could treat more patients with uterine cancer with some type of immunotherapy combination. So you mentioned a little bit about MSI status and PDL1 status. What are the other clinical indications that you take into consideration when you're prescribing the combination of pembrolabatinib? So I'd say currently the most common indication is for second-line therapy for patients with advanced or recurrent endometrial cancer. So for most patients, they're often treated with Taxol and Carboplatin, which again, currently I would say is the standard of care for first-line therapy. And as Jennifer said, the, the options beyond Taxol and Carboplatin were pretty limited, especially in patients that have MS-stable tumors. And so the approval of lenvatinib and pembrolizumab really opened an opportunity uh, for patients with either serous tumors, endometrioid, or other high-risk subtypes who've already been treated with taxol and carboplatin. Great. Well, one common question I get from my patients is what can we expect as far as a response rate? So in the early studies, when patients were enrolled both with MSI high and MS stable tumors, the overall response rates were about 38%. In follow-up studies where they compared Lenpem to other chemotherapy second-line agents, the response rates were pretty consistent. So even in patients with MS stable tumors, response rates are about 36 to 38%. That's really great. So if we can get a response response in our patients, how long do we expect it to last or what's the duration that you quote patients? Of course. So I think both are really important, right? So obviously we want to shrink a patient's tumor, but if we can have a prolonged response, that will give them additional benefit over time. And so I think that not only is there a high response rate compared to other second line treatments for endometrial cancer, the duration of response is actually pretty impressive as well, more than 20 months in the original studies. So the patients who respond, respond for a prolonged period of time. 
That's really great. Are there any patients that I need to make sure and avoid this combination or any contraindications I need to be aware of when I'm selecting my patient? So we know that hypertension, for example, is one of the most common side effects noted with lendema. So I think going into the treatment, we want to make sure that patients who have hypertension are well controlled. Just the diagnosis of hypertension itself, I wouldn't say is a contraindication, but they have to have good blood pressure control going into the therapy. That way, if there is a side effect of the medication, then adjustments can be made to their antihypertensive to allow them to stay on study. And then in patients that have otherwise, you know, autoimmune disease or chronic steroid use or other contraindications to immunotherapy, that also should be considered during patient selection. I know for the gynecologic oncology population, the use of oral regimens is a new thing for our arena and getting the patient ready for that patient education. How do you approach that with this combination of both an IV and oral drug? I generally will start with just isolating one drug and explaining that one. So usually the easier one of the two and the one they're going to get less side effects from generally is the immunotherapy. So I usually go over that one first. I set a stage because they're so used to carbotaxel and how long the infusions were. So I kind of start with, hey, we're doing a 30 minute infusion. It's well tolerated. We don't pre-medicate for it, right? It's a totally different process than the patient has experienced previously. So going over that and then going over itises related to immunotherapy. But then I also bring in that overlap, right? So there are some overlapping toxicities between the two, in particular, the thyroid disorders that you can see, as well as the diarrhea. And the diarrhea can kind of create a clinical conundrum, right? Is it immunotherapy? Is it lymphoma? So I usually go over that with them. Also setting the stage that we start out at full dose. So at that 20 milligram dose per the studies, but knowing that 67% of patients required a dose reduction and almost 70% of patients required a dose interruption. So I go over those with patients to set the stage that it's okay, right? At some point, if we're going to have to hold for a duration or if we're going to have to dose reduce, because patients obviously get really attached to wanting to do the therapy, get the response that we're looking for. And so they're concerned that holding or dropping the dose is going to affect that. And we can see from the studies that we can still maintain good clinical response despite a dose reduction if that occurs or is needed for the patient. So go over that with them and then really set the stage for the lymphoma toxicities. And I can't stress enough to patients just when to call, right? So, you know, we know with immunotherapy, time to initiation of steroids with those immune-related adverse effects is really key. So just making sure that they contact us when they're having the diarrhea and they don't wait till their next appointment and also touching base with them. So I usually call them about two weeks in. That's when their kind of first lab check is usually supposed to be with the lymphoma to look for maybe LFT abnormalities. But I also just check in. How are you? You know, I've had diarrhea, PPE. Are you having any mucositis that can happen? with the lymphoma and just making sure that we catch those things early and we treat them appropriately. Is there any on that during the patient education phase that you really focus on for home medications and whether or medications you send prescriptions home for to be preventative or do you wait till the patient calls? We always send them home with antiemetics, which usually they have some leftover um, anyways from previous treatment, but make sure they have either Zofran or Compazine 
on hand is kind of our practice. So some sort of anti-emetic available for the patient. I do go over Imodium and how to use it and how to take it and picking it up over the counter. If they have pre-existing hypertension, just reviewing that, we're going to want to monitor that maybe more closely in that patient, knowing that we may have to titrate antihypertensives. And then I typically do recommend some good oral hygiene. So normal mucositis kind of precautions, getting into the dentist if they haven't seen the dentist in quite a while, as well as some good lotion on the hands and feet to help prevent the PPE. Some really good information we're getting today. And we'd like to go round table and kind of do our take-home points from this first podcast. Dr. Solomon, would you want to kick us off with what would be your key take-home point for the audience on the combination of Pembro and Lovatinib patient selection? I think probably stands out the most is that the overall response rates are pretty high compared to other their second-line therapies. And even in comparative clinical trials, the lenvatinib and pembrolizumab was pretty effective in patients with recurrent endometrial cancer. So I think when you're kind of deciding what to do with the patient and they've had primary treatment, I think the combination of lenpem should really be at top of mind uh, for patients with recurrent endometrial cancer, especially in the kind of high-risk subtypes who don't really have other options for therapy. Thank you. And Dr. McDonald, your take-home for patient education, key points to bring home with your patients? I think it's important to just talk to them about the side effects, prepare them for a possible dose interruption or dose reduction that might be seen, and then just making sure they have really good contact information to reach out to clinic if they do have any side effects and that it's always appropriate to ask, is this normal or is this not normal? Thank you all for joining us for the first of three podcasts on the combination of lumbatinib and pembrolizumab for the management of endometrial cancer. Please tune in for our second podcast where we'll focus on the administration of and monitoring of patients on lumbatinib and Pembro. The information presented is that of the contributing faculty and presenters and does not necessarily represent the views of the Society of Gynecologic Oncology or any named company or organization providing financial support. Specific therapies discussed may not be approved and or specified for use as indicated by the faculty or presenters. If you like what you heard today, please let us know by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and hitting the follow button wherever you're listening. If you have suggestions for future SGO On The Go podcasts, please email us directly at education at sgo.org.